Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Jenny Dentbrandt is a speaker, writer, counselor, educator, and wellness advocate. Brandt's triple award-winning book, Unleash Your God-Given Healing, Eight Steps to Prevent and Survive Cancer, was written with an oncologist after her cancer journey. Her cancer prevention blog is at www.jennybrandt.com, and we'll make sure it's in the show notes. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. It's great to be here. I love to share my story to motivate and just lift up other cancer patients and those who just don't want to go down this road. Absolutely. And as we said before I hit record, I am really hoarse. So you may do all of the talking (laughs) during this interview. We'll see. Um, But would you please take us back to the very beginning of your cancer journey. Where and when did it start? Actually, it was four months after my mother had died from breast cancer and my sister and I served as her caregivers and we knew the road too well. It was about six years ago when my husband and I were doing the Cooper River Bridge Run, which we do every year, a 10-kilometer walk-type run thing that we do for health and wellness. And after that, that night, I was awakened in the middle of the night because my ring got caught in my nightie. And as I tried to free it, I felt a lump in my breast. Now, keep in mind, this is just four months after my mother has died from this beast. And I was quite concerned, but I didn't really feel like it was anything because I had had fluid-filled cysts before, false alarms. And so I immediately went to my doctor, and she felt the lump. Now, she she had examined me four months earlier and felt nothing. And so she sent me to get a mammogram, and this time the mammogram technician said, oh, you don't have to tell me where it is. I can see it. And they sent me for a biopsy, and I just knew it wasn't going to be cancer because two out of three are not cancer. When that radiologist said, no, Mrs. Brandt, it is not a fluid-filled cyst this time. It is cancer. That was the first shock. And then after the biopsy, more test results came back, letting me know that it was also aggressive. My mother's was not an aggressive breast cancer. So that was another shock. But my absolute worst moment was when I met with the surgical oncologist after my MRI had been done to give a cleaner look at exactly what was in there. Were there more tumors? And he said, Jenny, it's worse than we thought. And I'm thinking, how much worse can this get? And he (laughs) said, it appears to be in your lymph nodes. It appears to be in different places in your body. And he said, "Um, you know, but don't worry. You know, we can extend your life at least by a few years. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I don't believe you. I feel great. I had just walked several miles that morning. I was like, you know, I feel fine. I said, you show me that MRI. 
So he took me back in his office and he flashed my MRI up on a life-size screen. And Andrea, it looked like a tornado had invaded my body. Hence, the analogy to the Wizard of Oz that begins in my book in the very early chapters. But I was looking for the social security number. I was looking for my name, the time, just to make sure that was really me. One of the best things my husband and I did was to get that second opinion. And we were desperate. And from the very first moment I met with the intake worker, he told me very clearly, he said, I know what you saw on that MRI. I know it was horrifying. He said, but I want to put some more eyes on it. And he picked out two radiologists and two surgeons to look at that MRI that was so horrifying and tell me what they thought about it. And within 48 hours, they met with me to tell me that they believed what that tornado looking substance was in my body was inflammation, not necessarily cancer. We didn't know how far the cancer had spread at that point, but it was not for sure that it was stage three or stage four. And that was like the best news you could give me. I've never thought inflammation was such a great <laughs> diagnosis to have, but I'll take that any day over cancer. But I do highly recommend that you get a second opinion on your treatment on your diagnosis. It's just so, so important, especially when it's an advanced or an aggressive cancer. I 100% agree. And we always recommend sometimes even a third opinion. Um, I did get third opinions at times. So mm -hmm. did you have, you know, a HER2 positive or triple negative or anything like that or a BRCA gene that was identified? I had HER2 positive and estrogen positive. Now, you have to understand when I got to Cancer Treatment Centers of America, the doctor sat down with me to look at the risk factors for the cancer I had. There were eight. I didn't even have one of them. So they ordered extensive, <clears throat> excuse me, genetic testing. And that genetic testing came back showing I had no Brock gene. I had no nothing that would give me any reason to have this type of cancer. And so that Andrea is what put me on a quest to discover, number one, what caused my cancer, right? and number two, what I could do to minimize the side effects of all the treatments they were going to recommend for me and were already recommending, and what I could do to help my doctors to beat it, because I believe the patient is very powerful in their prognosis. Oh, I love that. I totally agree. Wow. Um, so... Did you stay at, at Cancer Treatment Centers of America? And what were the next steps? What did they recommend for treatment? Well, they recommended the same chemo that I heard uh, with a phone consult at MD Anderson. The same type of chemicals and the same type of things were, were going to be used. They were willing to do the surgery first and see if they could get the tumor and the other tumors planted and clear the margins where my other hospital was not willing to even give that a try. And I'll tell you what was so amazing was I met with a naturopathic doctor and a doctor of nutrition, and they were going to put them on my case for my entire journey. I was in, when, when they put all that together, I said, look, I trust you guys. And I've always believed in integrative medicine, in using food as medicine. And 
I just, it was such, I, I felt like I had two good fairies on my, on my shoulder to help me get through all these harsh and toxic treatments and come out on the other end with a better prognosis. So yes, I was treated at Cancer Treatment Centers of America, and I would do that all over again. So you started with chemotherapy? Actually, surgery. I started surgery. with the surgery. That's surgery. I started with the surgery, and that surgeon was able to clear the margins, even with the large tumor and the other plants. At, they didn't clear the margin the first time, but they were going back in to do reconstructive surgery, and they went ahead and got that and were able to clear the margins. So, you know, that was another blessing along the way. But, you know, just the help and the, all the things that they gave me to help me get through the, through the journey. I have to tell you this, the, uh, before the first surgery, I had to fly up ahead of my husband and I met with the chaplain at Cancer Treatment Centers of America. They have a wonderful chaplain program. I just poured out my heart and I said, I don't understand. I'm a health nut. I have a good, clean lifestyle. I don't understand how this can happen to someone like me. And he said, Jenny, I don't understand it either. You don't have any of the risk factors. He said, but I do know this. People that have healthy lifestyle habits do better in the cancer treatment journey. And then he looked at me and he said, you're an author. You're a speaker. Consider this a gift from God for you to help other people. And you not believe the answer I gave him that day. It was prophetic what he said, but I said, you don't understand. I don't want this gift. <laughs> you know, who would want cancer to go through this to help other people? Right. But in time, what he said was so prophetic because he said, I can see it now. The first page of your book about preventing cancer. And it says, this is the book I never wanted to write. And guess what the first page of my book says? <laughs> <laughs> so he was right. It has turned out to be a gift I didn't want, but a gift I have used to help other people because I don't want other people to go through what I went through or what your sister went through. And I really want to help people get through the journey so they can come out with a better prognosis. And then, you know, what's every cancer patient's worst nightmare? You don't want it coming back. All right. three of these things can be addressed with lifestyle changes. So let me go back. Um, first of all, tell us what type of surgery you had. And because there's so many, right? Lumpectomy, uh, mastectomy. I want to know a little bit more about that. Aside from the surgery, did you have any other quote unquote traditional type treatments like chemo or radiation? And if so, how did you manage that? And, and then I want to throw a little theory out there about cancer and see what you think about it. Well, I did have what they call a, not a total mastectomy, but I went from a double D size breast to a B size breast. By the time they removed the tumor and cleared the margins, it left me with a small breast, which was fine. And then they had to make the other breast match. So a plastic surgeon was brought in because they said, you know, you can't have a heavy breast on one side and a light breast on the other. Then you'll start having back problems and other issues. I mean, I guess now you the, could. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the chemotherapy was uh, a great concern to me. It was the one thing I never wanted to subject my body to. And so I was researching all the things I could do and my naturopathic doctor and my nutritionist were helping me. And so, of course, I was going to increase hydration. 
they both recommended that. And that is definitely a key to getting through chemotherapy. But I use exercise to relieve stress. And so I made this decision that before chemotherapy and after chemotherapy, I would walk two miles if I could. And so I got up before chemotherapy. My husband and I walked two miles. I went in for an eight-hour chemotherapy, according to my oncologist, the toughest chemo regimen known to mankind. And after the eight hours was up, we walked another two miles. And every day in between, when I got out of that surgery and I had 100 stitches, I asked the nurse what I could do to get all these tubes, the catheter, and all these tubes were hooked in my body. It was driving me nuts. And he said, if you can walk four rounds of the hospital floor, 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, I'll take the catheter out. The other tubes will stay for several weeks. I want you to know, it felt so good to walk. With the poles behind me, I was pole walking around the hospital floor. After I did four rounds, I said, how many to a mile? He said, 18. I did a mile. I ended up doing two miles that day. After I got back to my room and the surgeon and the respiratory therapist came in, they said, oh, your breathing rate is wonderful, all that you know, exercise oxygenated your body, it lowered your risk for blood clots. And then my surgeon and plastic surgeon looked at me and said, we've not done this before. We're pulling all these breast tubes today, your body's already taken care of it. That is fantastic. That is amazing. So I'm just showing you the power of exercise at every point in the journey. So here I am, chemotherapy, two miles before walking, two miles afterwards, every day in between two or three miles. And at the end of my chemotherapy, my doctors call me their rock star cancer patient because they said, your red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets are all back to normal ranges. And that can take several years. And some people, it does not return to normal ranges, you know, and that's a real problem. And so at the time, the research had not come out. But a year later, one of my doctors says to me, Now I know why you did so well with chemo. I said, why? She said, did you see the research in Australia with 30 entities coming together to talk about the importance of exercise and how it helps the cancer patient to get through the journey and actually helps the chemo to target the cancer? I said, no. So I looked at it. I ended up putting the research in my book. And then a few weeks ago, I found a study from MD Anderson showing that the mice who had moderate exercise routines during chemotherapy fared better and targeted the cancer cells better. So now it is recommended to cancer patients that they exercise. Yeah. And I used it at every point, whether chemotherapy, whether hormone therapy for five years. Now we all know what that does when you block estrogen production in your body, your bone density goes down in addition to what the chemotherapy does to your bone density, depending on the chemotherapy. So I had a double whammy there, but through exercise with a physical therapist at the cancer center helping me and a yoga instructor, I was able to put a routine together that not only oxygenated my body, but held my bone density during the entire cancer journey of six years. Oh gosh, Jenny, that's, that's fantastic. Um, I know that they are doing studies now that are showing that intermittent fasting during chemo um, really helps people tolerate chemo better, which is sort of the last thing, right? You would think because 
but it, but apparently it does. I wrote the book with commentary from oncologists, and he told me after we finished writing the book, he said one of the best things a cancer patient can do is water fast during chemotherapy because you have uh, cancer cells are different from regular cells and that they have more insulin receptors and they crave high carbs and sugar. So if you remove that, your body normally goes into autophagy anyway, where it kills off cells that aren't right. You just intensify that along with the chemotherapy and it works better. Plus the, uh, according to this doctor, Dr. Robert Elliott, he said that the chemo goes more to the cancer cells than the regular cells. And that's exactly what you want to have happen. Now, I didn't do that during chemotherapy. I didn't know to do that at the time. So I wish I had known that at the beginning of the cancer journey, I certainly would have done it. And I do the intermittent fasting now because I want to prevent those cancer cells from coming back and give my, let my body go into that autophagy where it kills off cancer cells on its own. Okay. So I have so many questions for you, but I'm trying to be cognizant of the time for the people listening. We had a lot of technical difficulties, a lot, but we're still here powering through them. Um, so I'm curious what you think about Chinese medicine, because in Chinese medicine, as I'm sure you know, certain emotions reside in certain organs of the body. And with my sister, she really believed in this and, and she had liver cancer and anger resides in our liver. And she really believed that she brought on her cancer because of unresolved anger toward our mother and her father. And, and that was one of the things she worked through before she died was her anger. And of course, it just broke my heart that she thought that our chest, our lungs, our breast, that part of our body is where we hold sadness and grief. And I know for me, I have a lot of lung problems. They've gotten better over the years, but, um, you know, so susceptible to bronchitis and pneumonia, even though I'm not a smoker. I sometimes think it's because of the grief I've carried for such a long time over the death of my sister. So I'm curious what you think about that. At first, if you had told me that, I would have said, oh, I don't know about that. But after researching and researching and attending three different cancer conferences with medical doctors and research scientists and nutritionists and experts and all kinds of medicine from around the world. I went to one and I think I heard 15 times in one day, 15 different doctors say that emotions play a huge part in the cancer journey. Now that shocked me and I never, it never occurred to me that part of the reason I got cancer and it's never usually one thing. Okay. Right. I found it, it's, it's multiple things, even though I had no risk factors and I didn't have the genetics. If you look back in my life, 15 years before I was diagnosed, I was caretaking for all four parents. My dad, as he died from Alzheimer's disease, and oh. then my mom, as she died from cancer, and both of my in-laws. And I got caught in a grief cycle I couldn't get out of, especially my father's dementia, which lasted about eight or nine years. I mean, it was so painful. And so I couldn't stop grieving. And I would go to take care of him on the weekends, and I would cry all the way there and cry all the way home. And then I find this research that shows that grief can suppress the immune system. Oh, yeah. And so the more I looked and the more I heard doctors talk, I went, bingo, 
this was part of the reason I got cancer. I'm not going to say it's the only reason because I also found high levels of toxins in my body when I asked integrative doctors to check further and find out what in the world was in my body that could have caused this. They were endocrine disrupting hormones and I had many of them at high levels. Now, my husband was tested as well because we live in the same house. He did not which shows that he has better filtering systems than I do. So I've had to do things to enhance my liver and my lungs and my sweating because that's the way a lot of these toxins come out of your body. So yeah, some of the things that you hear in Chinese medicine, I think now make a lot of sense. And one of the things that helped me during chemotherapy was a massage therapist, which was provided by my cancer hospital to move the lymphatic system He recommended that I go meet with an acupuncturist at the hospital, and I asked her if she could do anything to help keep my red blood cells up because they warned me I might have to have a blood transfusion because this chemo was so harsh. Sure. And after I started doing acupuncture with her, she said, I I can't promise that, but I will give it a try. Well, I came back to her and I said, well, after you worked on me, guess what happened? After the fourth chemo, instead of my red blood, blood cells going down, they actually went up a little bit. And so I was able to finish chemo at 10.2, and the next month I was back up to 11 point something. That's great. The reason, I believe, was lots of things, exercise and hydration, but I believe it was that acupuncture. She was stimulating my red blood cells to um, build themselves back up. Yeah. So yeah, I think all these things need to be looked at, and I believe that in treating cancer, it's more than chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. Those are certainly important tools, but we need to look at all the tools we can bring to the toolbox, including lifestyle changes by the cancer patient, which your doctor cannot control. So I have a question. It might be a little bit loaded, um, and it is timely. What are your thoughts about Cancer Treatment Centers of America? Several of them are closing. Um, due to COVID and due to the losses they're incurring financially. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are about that, especially since you had a good experience as a patient at one of their centers. I did not know that any of their centers were closing because I've been going every three months to my cancer center. I know the one in Chicago and the one in Atlanta are open and thriving. Now, there was a point in time there where, yes, patients were not coming because they were afraid to get out, but that was just for a few months. So, frankly, Andrea, I have not, I have not heard that. I would hope that would not be true because I appreciate the fact that, and I'm seeing more cancer centers move in this direction, they're giving an integrative approach to cancer, and I believe in the approach that, that they are, are doing, and I totally support it. So I would hope that would not be true. Yeah, the one in Tulsa is closing, and the one in Philly is closing. Okay. The two so far are closing because of COVID. I did not know that, and I, I hate that because the people that live in that area that can easily get there can go to the other ones. Let me tell right. you, it was worth me getting on a plane to go there. That's how much better treatment I, I believe I got. So I ended up transferring from Chicago when I just had treatments for like six more months and it was just one chemotherapy drug or immunotherapy. And I drove to Atlanta, which is three hours away, but it's, it's worth the drive. It was worth the plane flight 
because of the integrative approach. And the amazing thing is they provided that to me without charging me for those things. So that's just absolutely amazing. So I'm, I'm very supportive of what they're doing. And I'm sad to hear that two are, are closing. You told us what your worst moment was. What was your best moment in all of this? At the end of chemotherapy, when my oncologist did a scan and he told me I was cancer free and I realized I had made it through the one thing I didn't want in life, I was cancer free and I had minimal side effects. It was like just this big sigh of relief, (laughs) but realizing just because they tell you you're cancer free, you've got to work hard so that that cancer doesn't come back because now you've overloaded your body with toxic chemicals to kill the cancer. And now I had to work on getting those toxic chemicals down in my body. So, you know, it's been a long, hard journey, but in the end to get the results I got was like, you know, the best news ever. (laughs) (laughs) And I think you mentioned this before, but I'd like you to say it again. What is the one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning of your cancer journey? I wish I had known about the water fasting because I would have definitely done it. I mean, anytime you can target that chemo more to the cancer cells than the regular cells, that's a win-win situation. But it is not for the people who are emaciated or too weak. Sure. But it, you know, it's it's just not for everyone. But I think it is a great tool and I do recommend it to patients who are not in those in those categories. And when you say water fast, because I've heard different variations of this, you mean no liquids, but you don't mean like a pure dry fast where your body doesn't touch water at all, do you? No, you mean water fast means that you are drinking only water. So oh, your okay. body only- has no calories because your body spends a lot of energy digesting food. And then again, those calories are usually a lot of them are carbs and that helps feed the cancer cells. And what you want to do is the opposite, weaken the cancer cells. So you only drink water. Okay. That's better than a dry fast. Have you ever heard of those? No, I can't imagine that because your body needs water. (laughs) Well, and also you can't shower or anything. Oh, oh, I can't imagine that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There are some people that do not very often, not for a long period of time, but do dry fast where water cannot touch their body you know, no food, no water, but I mean, not even a shower, not even washing your hands. It's like, yeah, it's strange. Now that I have, I have not heard of that. Yes. One of my favorite questions to ask always, if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? It would definitely be to convince the insurance companies to pay for genomic testing for every chemotherapy patient. Mm -hmm. It came to light and was being used after my diagnosis, so I didn't get the advantage of it. But when you can take someone's cancer cells, put them in a Petri dish, grow them, and try every chemical adjuvant and natural ingredient on them, and find not what works for most people, but what works for you personally, uh, I just think it's worth the insurance company to pay the five to $8,000 because up front, rather than waiting until the chemo doesn't work and you're on the fifth round and you go, oh, the cancer's worse, the chemo made it worse. Well, now you've got to pull out more chemicals. So to me, it's a win-win for the insurance company and for the cancer patient to only have to go through chemotherapy once. 
You know, that's interesting. You should say that because I know someone, a scientist who has developed that technology and he's having a lot of difficulty, not because of health insurance companies, because he knew it would take a long time for that to be reimbursed, but because of pharma companies, because they don't want patients to be told that their drug might not work. And so he's getting pushback, huge pushback from some of the really big pharmaceutical companies. And he's not sure where to kind of go from where he is because, you know, he's kind of stuck. Um, and they oh, certainly that's have. So unfortunate because that yeah. to me is the future of cancer treatment is yeah. getting the chemicals right the first time by experimenting up front. And I think it's a wonderful test. And what I tell people to do is, you know, get the five to $8,000. If your insurance company's not going to pay for it, ask for this test to be done and get it done before you start your chemotherapy. Right. Yeah. So I, th I think that's unfortunate, but we also have to realize that this is where you have to be your own best advocate because, you know, cancer is a huge money-making business and you want to make sure that you're getting the right thing for your body and not because it's best for the industry. What would you recommend for someone who just cannot afford that sort of thing? They don't have $5,000. They don't have $500. I really hate that. I have recommended to some pastors that, you know, they raise the money through their church. You know, it might be a deacon or it might be the pastor in their church who is, I think it is that valuable to have, but I would recommend the water fast and the exercise because those things don't, don't cost anything. Well, you know, what, what can we do to make your prognosis right. better? A lot of people aren't, don't have a lot of cash. I mean, my husband and I were both educators and what we spent on my cancer journey would have been difficult had we not had a cancer policy and that helped. I used that to pay for some of the extra things that we did to make sure my prognosis was good. I did the vitamin C infusions and I'm really big on those, but I prefer that they be given through the port and they were given through my port at the cancer center at Cancer Treatment Centers of America. I was their first patient to get the vitamin C infusions 24 hours before chemotherapy. I certainly think it played a role in a positive prognosis afterwards. But when I got them at home, I had to get them in the arm. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of hard on your arm when you get several of those a week. So that was hard for us to afford. But with the cancer policy, I just used those proceeds to help pay for those type of things. Wow, that's fantastic that you had that policy. That's, that's yes. great. <laughs> Never thought I would need it, but uh, I did. And I think, you know, Andrew, people think they're not going to get cancer. I did not know until I got cancer that the rates of cancer are one in three for women today and one in two for men. And for the, today's generation growing up, one in two overall, and the rate's only going up. And oh, yeah. all this cancer research we've done, we've done has really helped to target the chemo to the cancers, to come up with better diagnostic techniques. The research has been valuable, but it's done nothing to stop the rates of cancer. And that's because that lies with the individual person to adopt, you know, some lifestyle changes that lessen your risk for cancer instead of increasing it. Oh, I agree 100%. I mean, 39% of Americans are going to get a cancer diagnosis in their lifetime. Five, I think even five years ago, that was 33%. So it just keeps going up, up, and up. And right. a, a big contributor to that is obesity, which is linked to 13 different kinds of cancer. 
Are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? Sure. And have a little fun. Beach, desert, or mountains? I'm definitely a beach girl, but I love all the outdoors. <laughs> beach boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beach boys. What is one word that best describes you? Determined. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Go rest high on that mountain. It's a song written by Vince Gill. Oh, I love it. And the last meal you want to eat? You know, since I'm eating healthy and I love certain foods that I had to leave behind, I think I would want, since I knew I was going to die anyway, I would just eat all the comfort foods I couldn't have. <laughs> Why not? That's exactly what I would do. Point? That's exactly what I would do. French fries, milkshake, and cheesecake. That sounds good to me. Oh, that's exactly what I would do. I love ice cream and I can't eat ice cream. I love it. Um, the last person or people you want to see. Definitely my family, especially my husband, who was my soulmate during the entire cancer mm. journey, without Aww. a doubt. How long have you been together? 45, almost 46 years. Wow. Oh, wow. And what are the last words you will speak? I would like to pray a blessing over my husband and children and grandchildren. I know of a cancer patient that that's what she did with her last words. And I thought, what a great way to go out, you know? Oh, so I think that would leave a, a good memory for them, for me to, you know, pray blessing on them, each one of them individually with all their gifts and talents that God would use them and keep them safe until we meet again in heaven. Oh, that's beautiful. And aside from Cancer U, what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I definitely want you to talk about your book, Ginny. Well, it would definitely be... Um, any resource they can get with a nutritionist or a naturopathic doctor through their cancer journey. But all that is detailed in my book, Unleash Your God-Given Healing, which contains the eight steps that got me through the cancer journey with a great prognosis, but also the eight steps that are going to help prevent my cancer from coming back. You know, there are no guarantees, but we can certainly make our chances better. I am not promised tomorrow because of the chemicals used on my body and the extreme measures that had to be brought out to save my life, but I can change my lifestyle and implement uh, different things that will make my cancer not as likely to come back. Wow. And so how can people get a hold of you? If they go to JennyBrant.com, that's G-I-N-N-Y, and then B as in boy, rant.com. I have a cancer prevention and wellness blog. I have links to buy the book. And by the way, I just came from a conference. The book won two awards at that conference. So now it's triple awards for the book. And it's not a likely subject to write about and win an award for. So the book is making its, its headlines. And even doctors are starting to say, you know, there are things that that can be used, but it's in the patient's camp. And so the patient has to ask questions, do their research. The research is all in my book. I don't say anything without backing it up to a, you know, research article or a medical research project done at some university or a famous doctor from Harvard or wherever. The point is, it's all backed up, the things that I talk about in the book and how you can use it in your cancer journey. There are a lot of people that are afraid of getting cancer because it's in their family you know, you don't have to be afraid. Instead, you can implement lifestyle changes. So the 
book is a prevention book. It's a get through the journey book. And it's a, I don't want this cancer coming back book, you know, <laughs> and I, there's so much valuable information that since my dad died from Alzheimer's, um, the same eight principles would prevent your risk for Alzheimer's, heart disease, type two diabetes, and many chronic and autoimmune diseases out there today. They're just things we're doing that we need to do differently. And that's why I believe the cancer rates continue to rise. Yeah, I agree. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on today, for sharing your story, for going through multiple technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it. And um, I know people are going to benefit from it. I pray they will. I, I don't want anyone to go through what I went through. And I know you feel the same way. I do. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.